Welcome back to the couch, Bob. Why, thank you, Mr. McCoy. Just makes your, what, fourth appearance, I guess fifth, if you count the time you shared that really sad story about your pet on our second or third most popular episode behind the other episodes that you've been on? Yeah, this is, I think, number four in season two yeah. of Bob Falls Apart. <laughs> so what, what brings you back to the studio for the fourth time in as many weeks? Well, one of the things we decided to do with this broadcast was to do it in real time. So as I find out information, I'm going to come back in here and keep people updated. Halloween decorations and maybe even your Thanksgiving leftovers away because we are sprinting towards a new year. Christmas will be here just before you know it. And speaking of people being here just before you know it, <laughs> we've got a repeat offender in the studio this morning, Mr. Bob Brennan, friend, colleague, cat, and all-around badass. Cat, I'm assuming, with the nine lines. Nine lines. I'm going to make a dumb nine lives reference. Welcome back to the couch, Bob. Yeah, this is, I think, number four in season two yeah. of Bob Falls Apart. <laughs> so what what brings you back to the studio for the fourth time in as many weeks? So last Friday, I went up to Duke and got um, uh upper endoscopy where they send a camera down through your esophagus into your stomach and looked around. They wanted to see what kind of damage I had there from the medicines, from, you know, the transplant stuff. And they picked up a little guest. Okay. Well, let me um, try to catch everyone up who might be new to the show and or anyone who may have heard one or maybe two of the episodes but not heard all of them. Our first episode was all about Bob's life, exploring his life being born and raised in New Jersey in the 60s, living with cystic fibrosis and all the uncertainty surrounding the course of that disease and all the associated treatments, uh, some of which were quite bizarre by today's standards. Despite several near-death experiences, Bob and his tenacious attitude, his, his can't-give-up-won't-give-up attitude kept pushing him not only to survive but to actually thrive. A couple graduate degrees, wife, house, picket fence, and a couple of dogs later, he's living the American dream. Except... His disease is always there, inside his body, never completely relenting. Even when he doesn't feel it, he knows it's there. Fast forward to almost six years ago, this December 31st, yeah. and he'd narrowly escape his closest bout with death probably in several decades. A double lung transplant would need to be performed. Surgeons came to the rescue at Duke University. And it was an emergency. We were down to about two weeks. The guys and gals at Duke kept the Reaper at bay once again for him. So today, just a couple months away from what should be, what will be, I should say, his the sixth, sixth anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Bob decided to drop by the studio here, put him on the couch, and announce a new challenge. It appears though the cystic fibrosis and or the anti-rejection medicine you just referred to for his new lungs has compromised his liver. 
Yes. Uh, in the last episode, he talked about that. As a result, these proteinaceous fluids keep backspilling from his diseased liver into his body cavity. Uh, this has been occurring more and more regular. That he has to go into the hospital, right? And mm-hmm. at least about once a week, you've been doing for the past month or so. Yeah. Get this average stuff. about five, six days, you know, yeah. then I have to get fluid drained out. And we're talking about liters, not, not ounces, not like a little syringe. Yeah. I uh, uh, describe that. Uh, Describe that that procedure again, Bob. He used an interesting turn of phrase. Oh, the wet vac? Yeah, the medical wet vac. So uh, I had another one done last Monday. Um, I, was in, I was in agony. The um, buildup of fluid puts pressure on your other organs. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to see the um, MRI that was done and a couple other things. And you can see, I mean, it looks like there's a fist around my around my stomach and it's just crushing it and then it's also pushing my ribs out from the inside Mm. you know and human physiology the the ribs are designed to protect things or stop things from coming in to attack the lungs and attack the chest cavity and now they're being pushed out from the inside so Mm -hmm. it's not really built for that and that gets to be quite and that that fluid's got to go somewhere and your liver's not helping it so Right. You go in, you get punctured like one of those needles in a football, and they yeah. draw this stuff out of you. Yeah, I, I, that was the other easy analogy I made. You know, the, the pins that you had as a kid trying to pump up your tires or pump up a, you know, volleyball, mm-hmm. something like that. You just stick it in there, then they turn the machine on, and, you know, uh, basically, like I said, a wet vac comes and sucks out anywhere between three. I've heard, I've heard of people who have as much as, like, eight liters taken out. Wow, that's several gallons. You've yeah. had about, what, two, three liters? The most I've had so far is 3.7. Wow, almost four so, liters. Yeah, it's almost two two liter bottles of soda Yeah, just sucked out. So his treatment thus far has been more of just fluid management, I guess. Going to the hospital regularly, have it drain off, come back, it fills back up, you go back and drain it off. And if that wasn't enough, uh, he... Just went to Duke. Friday. I think that was what he was about to discuss. Friday, they did an exploratory type procedure. Uh, the medical team was trying to pinpoint what was causing this malfunctioning with your liver. Yeah, they wanted to see how much damage the other organs had. They wanted to see if there mm-hmm. were like lesions or yeah. anything else. And to their surprise, didn't really find anything that sinister, or that strange about the liver. No, no. However, so I was heavily sedated for this because they're jamming all kinds of equipment and cameras down your throat and, you know, they don't want you to panic or whatever. So anyway, I'm coming out of the sedation and I'm a little little loopy, you know, and the doctor standing, he's a young guy, and he said, so I want you to hear this from me. And even though I was kind of sleepy, my head's like, that's never a good way to set up a conversation. And he said, uh, yeah, so we found cancer. The C word. The C, the dreaded C word. And I'm not uh, even sure if you can say that on the air. Don't they usually bleep that? <laughs> and I was like, crap. And then before I could even get out, do you mean the bad kind? Oh. Or the good kind? And he goes, malignant. And I swear, man, it was like getting hit with a truck. What were you thinking immediately? Death. You know, and I was not expecting this. So this took me completely off guard. And I was like, bam, I was run over. And of course. Because you told me you'd been scanned 20 ways from Sunday. Yeah. 
And, and I, you're always cancer free. Yeah. And I have it so far still. I haven't mm. built up the extra white blood cells, which are a sign. Right. I have I don't have any other signs other than the fact that they stumbled on it. So what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Mm. Um, he did tell me, first of all, that it hasn't metastasized yet, which means it hasn't spread to other parts of my body. So right now, it's localized at the bottom of my esophagus. Okay. So, so right above your stomach, right in the bottom of the esophagus. Right. So it's not metastasized. It means it hasn't gone to my lungs, my brain, nothing like that. Right. The other thing he said is that it's very small. Okay. And, uh, you know, of course, the words... Malignant cancer is running around in circles like a squirrel yeah, in a habit. Like so I'm, I'm trying to hang on to two thoughts at once. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I, I kind of stopped listening because your brain is focusing, at least my brain is focusing on one fact and one fact only. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I felt sorry for myself. Yeah, so it, I can imagine at that moment you completely forgot about Cystic fibrosis, yep. forgot about the lungs, yep. and forgot about the liver. And forgot about taxes, forgot about, you know, all the other stuff that you have to do. Uh, and like I said, I felt sorry for myself. I was angry. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. If this was a character in a movie, nobody would buy this, that this many things go wrong all at once. I mean, I went to the full... Right. The full Monty there of of feeling sorry for myself. But I guess at the same time, there's that nine lives reference. You know, I don't know if Bob knows this. Perhaps he does, but his brother actually called me when um, the doctors found the cancer. and um, Or he, at least he texted me and asked me to call him back. And he said Bob wasn't really in the, the right mind or physical shape to talk at that time. And his brother filled me in on this. And uh, admittedly, when I heard it, I said to myself, damn, I may have said it aloud, damn it. But then immediately I thought, well, Bob's only got, I mean, I think he's only used like four of his lives up. So <laughs> I didn't think for a second this was going to be like a death sentence. I didn't think for a second this was going to be anything that you couldn't fight and overcome once again. And so you sit there and you feel sorry for yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what happened next. So the next day, a friend of mine, um, she lives in California now. Mm -hmm. She actually was my student years and years ago. Mm -hmm. And after class was over, because she was 24, 25, whatever. Anyway, uh, we became friends. And she went to graduate school. She's got her PhD. And, you know, she lives in California. And she was talking to me. And she made a very good point. She said, you know, if they weren't looking, they wouldn't have found it. And I started thinking about that. Yeah. So if I didn't have the emergency with my liver, there'd be no reason to look at my esophagus. If there's no reason to look at my esophagus, they wouldn't have found that cancer until maybe it'd been too late. So I started thinking, well, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is the silver lining I was looking for. Because instead of, oh my God, this is something else, maybe it was more like, well, thank goodness we were looking for this because we never would have found that. So it really helped me turn my head around. You know, maybe if we could move quickly on this, 
you know, this will be just a funny little anecdote for some future podcast. Yeah, because I think you you spoke about just getting on the transplant list in our yes. last episode. And so with this new news, I'm assuming you're thinking, man, well, I'm not going to be on the transplant list. However, um, whether you are or aren't, where, whether you're up high or low on it, one thing's probably for sure. If you didn't catch this when you did and it metastasized, by the time you were eligible for a liver, this would have probably said no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this point, maybe it puts the liver on hold for a second, which I'm assuming you don't, it's not critical, like as in tomorrow that you get a new liver. Uh, did you learn anything about the liver? Ironically, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they were too worried about um, the cancer. I am doing a biopsy later this week okay. for my liver. So Good. we're we're continuing with that. We haven't stopped anything. Just on another you're on two tracks simultaneously. Exactly. Okay. So we still got the liver stuff planning. We've got the um biopsy on Friday and then we've got um We've got a consultation with the transplant team. So, wow. yeah, so we're, we're following down two paths. I got the one doctor working on the, the cancer. So I'm getting, I'm getting the um, endoscopy uh, ultrasound. That's happening not this week, but next week. Mm. So we're hoping that we might be able to get it out within two or three weeks. Wow. So... You know, instead of having to, basically, we're doing them um, concurrently rather than consecutively. Well, who says that people aren't capable of multitasking? I tell you, if, if this teaching thing doesn't work out for you, you might have a um, a career in scheduling in the in the <laughs> hospital, keeping all these things going at one time. Well, I, di I didn't want to tell you this, but uh, you know, I've been on the phone with Netflix. They said if I can get one more organ to fail. I might have a series. Yeah. You know, season one will be the long season. Well, I, two will I don't be know the... who out there is listening or who out there could possibly help. But yeah, if you <laughs> want to pitch uh, this story to Netflix, Bob's entertaining all offers. Yes. Yes. Right now I'm wide open. Yeah. And right now he's healthy enough to tell his story. Uh, hell, he might even be able to do a couple stunts. Yeah. So, cause, uh... cause he's, cause he's got to share that part of his life story. Um, where he and some friends used to spend a little time at a place in Jersey called Action Park. Oh. But that will we'll save that for another episode for sure. Anybody from maybe we do our, North Jersey maybe knows we do our, exactly what I'm talking about. Childhood through the generations podcast we've been talking about. And the funny part is if if you ever went it's called Action Park, but it was we called it Accident Park. And uh if you know the place, you either were a victim, or you know somebody that was a victim of that place. Nobody is nobody uh, left there unscathed, no. physically or emotionally. And so, it's so stayed a, open every year. It reopened every year. So on a serious note, got a plan. Heading back up to Duke shortly. Yep. Get some new tests done, some biopsies. Maybe we can get this liver, uh, the, get the cancer out, boom, and then move on to the uh, liver itself. Yeah. So, so what are the um, Right now, what are kind of some of the options being floated for the cancer? Uh, if removal. It is, yeah, if it is indeed localized and it has he's, not spread, he's pretty confident it hasn't. Yeah, he said it, if it hasn't spread, if it hasn't touched any lymph nodes or anything, mm -hmm. he said something about removing it without surgery. Wow. So without, without, without the cutting and the snipping, he said, which 
to me sounds like laser or some kind of I'm not sure immunothera- targeted immunotherapy. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to get more information. But the good thing about that is if there's no scars to heal, mm. I feel like we can move on to the next stage. Yeah, it shouldn't be as much uh, downtime for you, right? Right. Potentially. Right. Now, I'm probably still going to have to end up on a liquid diet for a while right. until the patch heals or whatever. But, but I mean, come on, some radiation, some, some lasers, that's not going to stop you. This guy, he's not really shared how many miles he's put on his car, how many hours he spent traveling uh, I-40 and several other main thoroughfares over the past, well, God, all of his life, but here recently over the past month, going back and forth to Durham from Wilmington to Charlotte, where his brother lives, so that he can kind of camp Stay out there, there and recover. And it's closer. Yeah. It's closer. Um, the other downside to what's happening, and they mm-hmm. told me this was going to happen, I'm getting weaker. Mm-hmm. Like I still work out a couple days a week. I wow. do a lot of free weights and stuff like that. And I can feel my strength. Slipping. Yeah, it is. And the scary part about that is, you know, as as a kid, I was always tiny, always frail, always sickly. Mm-hmm. And then my brother and I were moving to a new high school. And the high school we came from was violent. I mean, violent. One of the activities the coaches had was called um, Olympic handball, mm. which is basically kill the guy with the ball inside a gym with no mats. Yeah. So you're just in a Skinner box running away from um, yeah. maniacs. Yeah. And, and I swear, I swear to God, the, the gym coach said, I want to see an ambulance here at least once a week. Wow. And we've got teachers today being suspended for wearing devil masks in the classroom. I heard today. Oh, um, but back then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I want to see an ambulance in here. Once a week. Yeah, you didn't have to pretend to be somebody. That the, the actual teachers were sadistic enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, I ain't that big. I ain't mm-hmm. that impressive. I'll stay on the side. <laughs> I'll stay on the sidelines. And then I got I ended up getting my arm broken. Not from that, but from something else. Right. So you're concerned about being fragile, frail. Yeah, so Falling. once I got the, the cast off, I started lifting weights. Mm-hmm. And I think it stimulated my pituitary gland or whatever. And um, I started lifting weights. Yeah. And I've always used lifting weights as kind of a barometer of how, how I was doing. Yeah, of course. So all the times I got sick, my weightlifting went down. Like the sheer volume that I can move around, the number of repetitions I could do. And... You know, I would always strive, 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 strive to to be insanely strong because mm-hmm. to me that meant health. Mm-hmm. That meant success. That meant survival. Right. And and you know me back in the day, I was a gym rat. I you know, I lived there the whole time. And um it's it's upsetting to me now because again, I'm still even though intellectually I understand there's lots of factors taking place here, but on an emotional level, once you identify something like that, it's hard to unidentify it. Yeah, that's your yardstick. So um, as I'm watching 
my strength get weaker. I mean, it's difficult. A lot of people have said that they're proud of me for doing this broadcast and everything. But so, you know, this morning, sure, I was by myself in my house trying to lift weights, failing mm -hmm. at what I wanted to get. And that's the hardest part for mm -hmm. me to keep going that, you know, and this is going to sound cheesy as hell, but there's a line from uh, Rocky Balboa mm -hmm. where he says, um, his character says, uh, it's not a matter of how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit and still get up mm. and try again. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. You know, even my brother said, and my, I, you know, I idolize my brother a lot, mm -hmm. but even he said, he goes, I don't understand how you can keep going all the way down to zero and then coming out and doing it again mm -hmm. and again and again. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I have to agree with that. I mean, I can identify any number of things that tells me you're stronger than the average person. Again, getting in the car and driving four hours, one way next day, a couple of hours somewhere else. Next day, a couple of hours again. Next day, four hours back. Not to mention getting up at three, four, five in the morning to make these trips. Um, and then teaching all of your classes at the same time, keeping those going and, you know, keeping all these people who are admittedly worried about you and wanting to support you apprised of everything that's going on. I mean, you know, not for nothing, but you've been coming over once or twice a week for the past month, sitting and doing these podcasts, it may only seem like you're just sitting there and telling a story for 30, 45 minutes. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, he's been sitting with me for, you know, over an hour, sometimes closer to two hours. And I've been editing and finagling and trying to put out a product that is easy to follow. Um, and so he's he's being sit he's he's sitting for these interviews twice as long as what I'm releasing, and um, yeah, I don't know how he has the the strength to do this. So you you clearly can't keep using the same yardstick to measure how strong you are, to measure your worth. Now, have you thought about incorporating another yardstick into your assessment? No. <laughs> I mean, that'd be my recommendation. I mean, you know, perhaps looking at the number of miles on your car, nope. looking at the number of podcasts you put out, the number of people who've listened, um, downloaded this thing and listened to your story. Nope. Um, it's me. It's between me and exercise, and that's it. Well, I, I will win in the end. I will win. I'll be back. All right. You know, I said the same thing after the, the lung transplant. I said, if I survive the table, I'm coming back. Mm. And what did you say? One year later, right? You saw yeah. the pictures. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, you were just as strong, if not stronger than you were, bef- you know, well before you went in. But when I when I got out, you oh, saw yeah. my. When you got out, I, I, I was mean, emaciated. Absolutely, you looked like someone had who had been uh, rescued from Auschwitz. Honestly, man. And it was funny because that was when the internet Facebook thing was, mm-hmm. you know, the ten year challenge or something like that to see yeah. if. And you're like, oh, you could just do the one year challenge. Yep. You didn't need the ten year challenge. It was striking enough. Yeah, it looked like someone had liberated you from an island where you'd been surviving off of like conch meat and I don't know, uh, jellyfish tentacles. Like not, not, it didn't look like you'd had much sustenance in a very long time. Yeah. I was down to or sunlight or anything else for that matter. Yeah. I was all washed out. I was a hundred, less than 120 pounds and I had a hard time gaining weight and I was a disaster. I had that little mermaid shirt on. <laughs> Somebody bought me a shirt and they said, If you if I buy this, will you wear it? I'm like, Hell yeah, why not? So it was uh Missy's daughter, I think, that bought me the little the mermaid. The little mermaid. I was like, I'll wear it. I don't care. Wow. But um I just well, I, 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 I do I do want you to know that um there are people who are listening that have reached out to me. Um you've got some former students, some you know, um, mutual friends of mine who, you know, basically said, look, anything we can do, just send us a text, let us know. Um, one young lady named Anna in particular said, Anna. if she was uh, in Wilmington, she would, quote, mother hen the shit out of you. <laughs> uh, she would take care of you. She's uh, out there listening to every episode um, and and really wishes you well. I think she's even tried to contact you on Facebook. So she's asked me to remind you to check your DMs to Okay, to I see. will. Uh, you've also got a young lady named Ava who is uh, very interested in your story. I think you know her from the past. I you, think she was, got, yeah, she was a former student. Uh, young lady named Amelia, maybe. Um, Actually, I talked to Amelia last yeah, night. Amelia has reached out through um, our podcast and wished you well. So, yeah. A, a lot of people uh, concerned about you, all of whom really want to help in any way they can. And I think this is probably the quickest and easiest way to share what's going on with you and what, if any, needs you have that can be addressed by these friends and colleagues and acquaintances. Well, I have to find out what the plan is, how long they expect the recovery period to be. I need to know... Mm-hmm. Um, how much of it can I do? I have to do at Duke. How much of it can I do in Wilmington? Mm-hmm. So as soon as I get information on all that, yeah, we can, we can figure something out. Start talking to people about. Um, well, yeah, you might need a meal train. You might need somebody to, you know, go and pick up some meals, cook you a meal or two. I mean, I think we can organize something like that. Well, I was also that's a wondering fun because, way for people to help. You know, if they're gonna, I, I assume, I assume they get one through the back to replace the liver. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, um, you know, I have the German Shepherd, and sometimes I just need somebody to go and throw the ball for him. Yeah. Because, uh, obviously, it's going to be a while before I can get up and throw a tennis yeah, ball. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we, we, we'll get a list of volunteers who can. Um, and he's very sweet. He's very sweet. Who can come by and throw the ball, maybe take him to the park. So if you like animals, you're not afraid of German Shepherds, uh, Bob's got one that will definitely need a little 
a little special attention. Yeah, he's going to need it. I, I feel I think bad. he likes peanut butter sandwiches, too. And Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't like peanut butter sandwiches? I'm talking about the dog. I know. <laughs> me, too. And me. And me. Um, but, yeah, so we're, we're continuing on the two-track path. We got one to deal with the cancer. We got one to deal with the liver. Um, the next couple of weeks are going to be big, you know. Yeah. All the while, you're still running these classes. Doing my classes, paying my bills, mm-hmm. you know, trying to clean up the house. That's not as successful as I would like it to be. But because sometimes, you know, to be honest, while we were setting up here today, I, I fell asleep. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I was he t- said, let me know when you're ready. And I just started playing the theme music. And he <laughs> he kind of came to but I was, gasp a little. I'm exhausted all yeah. the time. You know, I'm just tired. I had these very, very bad um, cramps last night in my elbows, in my thighs, in my, you know, my side. I mean, everything. I mean, I was writhing in pain. So that took about 40 minutes for it to go away. And, uh, you know, it. you just wake up tired. You go to work. I love my job. I mm-hmm. love teaching. I love being in front of my class. My classes are awesome. Doesn't make it physically any easier to get there, though. No, no. Yeah. But once I get there, yeah, yeah. I do feel better. Um, yeah, if you could just wake up and uh, snap your fingers and be in front of the class, bathed and fully clothed, yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be the ticket. Um, and my class has been super supportive. Um, you know, I think we talked about this last time. Yeah. I've been pretty honest with them, telling them what's happening. Sure. And because I'm being honest with them, they're... Showing you grace and... Yeah, yeah. And, and they are worried about me. You know, the one class has a little uh, text chain, so if I know I'm not going to make it, I tell the first person. Because they don't always check their emails. Right, they right. don't always check all their messages. But, you know, text That's why you get the word, the right. word across quickly. So they'll do a text chain, and then, boom, everybody knows what's happening. Nice. Nice. So, um, but yeah, they've been very supportive. They've been very helpful. Um, I mean, I, I had something similar last time too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you know, they're they're good, responsible people. You know, I know this generation gets a lot of grief about you know being too invested in their phones or in too invested in yeah. the internet. And but I mean, hadn't been your experience. No, not not with this. I think because it's serious enough that the people that have been through something serious can mm-hmm. identify, but the people that haven't been through something like this before mm-hmm. are learning. Well, you're it. also expecting a lot out of them, and you're expecting them to be emotionally mature enough to handle what you've got to share with them, and they've risen to the occasion. And maybe that's a reminder to all of us, especially some of the older generations that Maybe what the younger generations need is this, just you to believe enough in them to give them the expectation and, and see if they can succeed. And to trust right. them. Instead, yeah, that's what I mean. Just don't write them off by saying, oh, they're that generation. Yeah. Like I said, I've been very touched, very um, satisfied, very um, helped Yeah. by the reactions of my students. You nice. know, they talk about books to read or they talk about they invite me to their church or they you know they they've really gone out of their way Mm -hmm. to come up with ways to try and help me yeah and really 
you can't put a value on that. You well, know? no, I, I can tell you one thing. People will work harder if they know they're working for something of value and meaning. Um, sometimes we forget that. Uh, points, grades, even money, they're all nice. And, and perhaps because, you know, we, we know the value of those. We know what they can get us. But at the same time, they don't sustain everyone's motivation. You know, what we're doing here today is not for money. No. What, what most of us do most of the time, spending time with friends, family, you know, watching good television, listening to great music, eating good food is not about earning money or points. No, no. So, and yeah, maybe this generation is smarter than we were. Maybe they figured that out. And maybe it just took us longer. And, you know, it, to me, it's a reminder because when you look out at a sea of faces, I think there's a human tendency to assume that other people have not been to the same trials mm -hmm. that you have. Yeah. But when you come up and you, you know, hear them talking about, well, you know, this happened to my dad or mm -hmm. this happened to my mom or, you know, uh, something similar happened to my family and they get what you're going through. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't think of it. You just see them, oh, there's some 20-year-old, whatever. But, they haven't um, experienced anything good or bad. Right, but you'd be surprised. Yeah. Oh, you'd yeah. be surprised. And I think as a teacher, sometimes we forget that. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's part of the reason they've responded so well when I trust them with my information is because I'm trusting them with my information, mm -hmm. and then they're more willing to share their thoughts and their experiences. So Right. I, help, I think it helps them. It helps me. To your upbringing, a lot of that to your family and friends, even to his students. They inspire him, push him, and, and give him hope as well. And I think Kate Fear is probably one of the best pieces of promotional material they've got, <laughs> him, and, him and his students. Some good stuff going on downtown. We've got some remarkable students, if I say so myself. Bob, any final words? Um, I guess I, I would kind of dip back into what we talked about with the fear. Like, when I was hit with the, the words malignant and cancer, like mm. I said, I, it was like getting hit with a truck. Um, and I felt sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just got frustrated and sad and feel like I'm being robbed. And, you know, intellectually I understood that other people have it worse than me. Yeah. You know, um, but there's no shame in feeling bad when bad things happen. There's no shame in it. Um, fortunately, I had a friend of mine who talked to me and she helped me change my, my frame of reference. Yeah. yeah. And it really helped. So, you know, if you need help, whether it's a friend or whether it's your dog or... You know, whether it's a professional therapist, you know, there there are ways to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. Some people reach out to their pastors or their congregation. Some reach out to their friends. Some reach out to their family. But, you know, it can help. Yeah. And it's not a guarantee, but, but do something. it can help. Yeah. You don't have to face alone, I guess, is where I'm going. Yeah. Well, again, man, thanks for coming in and keeping us abreast, catching those of us up who were waiting, anticipating uh, what your next uh, episode was going to be about. I'm sure that you'll still have lots of well wishes, lots of emails, 
we get them from time to time at putemonthecouch at gmail.com. Again, if you guys are interested, please feel free to reach out at putemonthecouch at gmail.com. That's put M-E-M on the couch, all one word, at gmail.com. And I can get those well wishes and really anything else you've got to say about Bob over to his email. If you know his email, then feel free to email him directly. All right, well, that'll be all for today. When we hear something, you'll hear something. Thanks again for joining us, and thank you, Bob, for sharing. Sure. You never know about the days to come.